0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary Or if you're looking for sexual harmony
1: Well, there's nothing you can't ask
2: On the Savage Lovecast Okay, here's a funny story. A long time ago... Before podcasts and smartphones were a thing, before the internet came online, I guess, before Taylor Swift met Jake Gyllenhaal, I had a radio show, Savage Love Live. It aired in Seattle on Sunday nights. It was a lot like the podcast, answered listener questions with my co-host, Mary Martone, a.k.a. The Big Tipper. We talked to guests. We got into it. But unlike the podcast, we had to worry about the Federal Communications Commission shutting us down. And the one night we really were most worried about the FCC shutting us down was the night I got into it with this guy who didn't like something I'd written in Savage Love, my column that week, something I wrote about bestiality, which I am against. Fucking animals. Not a fan. Don't think people should fuck animals. Pretty much for the same reasons as everybody else, because animals can't consent, And this guy called me at work after I wrote that in my column and he somehow got through to me at my desk and I somehow made the mistake of picking up the phone that day, not knowing who was on the line. And it was this furious, well, today they call them zoophiles, people who are attracted to animals. He'd seen my column and how dare I, he was married to his horse. How dare I imply there was something non-consensual or rapey about his loving horse marriage This guy lived in a state where bestiality wasn't illegal at the time, a state I will not name because somebody else named it Kentucky in 1792, and his argument was basically, well, it was basically if you're doing something on the rear end of a horse that it doesn't want you to be doing, the horse is going to kick you in the head and you're going to die and there's no part of that, no, you won't understand. So... I did what anybody with three hours of airtime a week to kill on a terrestrial radio station would do. And I asked him if he wanted to come on my show and talk about it. And much to my surprise, he did. So we had him on Savage Love Live and talked to him for at least a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. And at the end of the show, I realized I hadn't asked what would anybody else be, I guess, the obvious question. Was he married to a boy horse or a girl horse? The music was coming up, the producer was giving me the international producer sign to a radio show host for cut him off which is a finger drawn across the neck and I quickly asked, "Oh hey, before we let you go, are you married to a boy horse circle horse?" And there was this long pause. I could hear himself in my headphones, hear him drawing himself up. And then he finally choked out, "I am not a homosexual." <laughs> He wanted to make it very clear that there wasn't anything gay about his horse marriage. He married a girl horse, according to God's plan. That plan, of course, being one man, one woman, or failing that, one female of a species to be named later. I thought of that call after a tweet began to appear and reappear in my timeline over the weekend by the time I saw this tweet, it had already been quote tweeted more than 2,000 times. So maybe you saw it. Maybe it got quote tweeted into your timeline too. It read, fuck most of the LGBT community. You don't come to the defense of zoosexuals and attack us. You don't make an effort to understand us or hear our arguments. Until zoosexuals are cared about, I won't care about LGBT. Hashtag LGBT. I'm not going to read out the person's handle. And I didn't quote tweet that tweet myself. I try not to participate in Twitter pylons. I'm not always perfect. I sometimes succumb to temptation. But after I saw that tweet, and I saw that tweet had already been quote tweeted more than 2,000 times, all by furiously outraged LGBT folks, making the point that the Z had nothing to do with the LGBT, everyone telling the original poster that she was sick and should be locked up. Yeah, I didn't tweet about it myself. I did, however, click through to read the original poster's other tweets. Curious if she meant it sincerely or if she was just trolling. And turns out, after reading her feed, she meant it. And turns out, after reading her feed, she clearly means it. And again, I think she's wrong. That said... Now, the best science and research and data we have all indicates that zoophilia, like pedophilia, these things function like sexual orientations. They are sexual orientations, as awkward and uncomfortable as it makes me to say that. But they do not belong in a movement that is about freeing people, liberating people, whose sexual expression and liberation does no harm. Preventing a gay man from loving another gay man, preventing two consenting adults from loving each other for an hour or a lifetime, that harms both those men. It creates only pain. Preventing a pedophile from raping a child protects that child, and it protects that man from the legal and social consequences of that act. Preventing a zoophile from fucking an animal, which Kentucky got around to doing in 2019 when it criminalized people having sex with animals, protects the animals who can't consent, or that can't consent. But I gotta say, when I clicked through to read the original poster's other tweets to see if she was trawling, she made one good point. Not that the Z has any place in the LGBT movement, it does not, but that carnivores, people who eat animals, who then turn around and say, zoophiles, people who fuck animals, are guilty of consent violations, are themselves guilty of... Hypocrisy? Now, again, 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 I don't think people should fuck animals. Well, people shouldn't fuck animals who aren't also people. People are animals. And I'm also not casting judgment on or kink shaming early modern humans, Homo sapiens, our ancestors, who mated with Neanderthals 100,000 years ago when those early modern humans migrated out of Africa and encountered Neanderthals in Europe. Not judging, not shaming. I don't want to pile on to them either, those early modern humans who fucked. The But I gotta say, the original poster, this woman who fucks animals but doesn't eat or wear them, has a point. The same people who get very precious about consent where animals and sexual activities are concerned aren't at all concerned about consent where dinner is concerned. Or industrial farming. Or being slaughtered, cut into pieces, those little pieces being shrink-wrapped and shipped off to supermarkets, sold, cooked, and eaten The only animals I've ever seen consent to that kind of treatment are anthropomorphized pigs holding up huge plates of ribs on the signage outside barbecue restaurants. It is something that those of us who think it's wrong to fuck animals, and I think it's wrong to fuck animals, it is something that we need to think about more deeply. If it's wrong to fuck a chicken because it can't consent to being fucked, it's wrong to murder and eat one, right? Fucking cows, wrong. Wearing leather pants, Wrong for the same reason, I guess? I struggle with this as a meat eater with a thing for hot guys and leather pants. And I really, really hate it feeling called out by a dog fucker on the internet. But until we give up meat, until we shift to plant-based diets and plant-based fetish gear, dog fuckers and horse marriers and chicken filators can get away with calling us all hypocrites. Okay, coming up on today's show on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's and ads, ads too. And on the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, all those cues and more cues, all those A's and more A's, no ads, and Emmy winning comedian Judy Gold joins me to talk lesbians who make yucky sex faces, loving fat women, terrible roommates, and yes, we also talk for a little bit about Dave Chappelle. Before we get to it though, a quick call for calls, since holidays can be hard on queers, next week we want all the calls on the show to be from gay, queer, trans folks. I know for many of my listeners, Thanksgiving can be a difficult holiday, especially if your family of birth has rejected you for being queer. So LGBT listeners, next week's show is your show. Give us a call, record your questions, we will get them on and we'll have some very special guests for you. And to be clear, I'm taking questions from the L's, the G's, the B's, and the T's next week, please, but no Z's. Not that I won't answer questions about Z stuff. I will and I have, but I am not lumping the Z's in with the L's, the G's, the B's, and the T's. All right, let's get to it.
3: Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Savvy at Risks. 50s, East Coast, by Polyguy. Guy. I love cum. I love jizz. I like it when guys come on me. Sometimes when guys come on me, yeah, some's going to get in my mouth, some's going to get in my eyes. I keep trying to ask my doctors a question, and they keep interrupting me, thinking I'm asking a different question. But the very specific question I'm asking is, if I'm not touching them, and they're not touching me, and the only thing that's happening is that they're coming on me, and some of it gets in me, I know I'm at a slight risk for hepatitis. I know I'm at a slight risk for HIV, though I'm on PrEP. But am I at risk for the other diseases? Am I at risk for syphilis? Am I at risk for chlamydia, gonorrhea? Every time I try to ask this question, they interrupt me and say that if I'm sucking someone's cock, I might get those diseases. I'm not sucking their cocks. They're just coming on me. What's my risk for them? And as a follow-up question... I try to look this stuff up on the internet, but I get very vague and sometimes shamey answers or all different answers. But how long after possible exposure to chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, do I need to be tested in order for the results of that test to be meaningful? I'm fluid bonded with my girlfriend. These are important safety questions. I'm not going to change my kinks. I like to do what I like to do. I'm kind of sick of the low-level shaminess that comes from answering these questions, as if I shouldn't be fluid-bonded, or as if I shouldn't have these kinks, or that this uh, shouldn't be both.
2: Syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, all bacterial infections, and easily Googleable. all three, all three of those bacteria can be present in semen. So if you're getting semen in your mouth, if you're getting semen shot into your eyes, there is a risk of transmission. You could get one or all of those infections if the person who's coming in your eye or who's coming is getting into your mouth has one or all of those infections. None of those infections are spontaneously generated when semen comes into contact with buttholes or mouths or eye sockets. It has to be there. The person blowing that load on you and maybe getting a little bit incidentally into you. Has to have chlamydia, syphilis, or gonorrhea to pass it along to you. But yeah, present in the semen. It's not all over the dick, outside the dick. It's in bodily fluids like semen, which makes the dick, you know, plunging in and out of you, shoving that semen up into your orifices. If you were having penetrative sex, the most efficient mode of transmission for all of those sexually transmitted infections, including also HIV. But yeah, there's a risk here. Early on in the AIDS crisis stage of the AIDS epidemic, one of the slogans, one of the safe sex slogans was on me, not in me, because somebody blowing a load on you was highly likely, very unlikely. The, the chances that someone would transmit HIV to you, even if they had HIV, by blowing a load on you were so, so small compared to, you know, the much more efficient mode of transmission that was Somebody fucking your ass. So yeah, uh, I think what you're doing is really, 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 really safe, but it's not without some risk. As for how long you got to wait between exposure, if somebody blows a load and it hits you in the eyes, uh, and testing two weeks on the outside for symptoms to appear or for tests to show whether or not you were infected with a sexually transmitted disease, whether you're symptomatic or not. So if you go to these sex parties a lot, if you get come on a lot, you're fluid bonded with your partner, there is some risk to you. There is some risk to your partner. You should be getting tested regularly. If there is a moment where somebody was going to come on you and all that load went right into your eye or got in your mouth, well, then you should probably stop having condomless sex with your fluid bonded partner for five days to two weeks, test, get the all clear, and then you can go back to condomless sex. With your fluid
4: bonded partner. Hey Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy At-Risk Youth. Bisexual cis male teenager calling from somewhere in Western Canada. My problem relates to the delayed ejaculation. As long as I've been sexually active, I've struggled with not really being able to reach a orgasm from most forms of sex. I could be active in penetrative sex for hours on end and not reach orgasm or even really come close to it. I do get pleasure out of sex, and by no means does my usual inability to have an ejaculation ruin sex whatsoever for me. It would it would be nice to be able to finish with an ejaculation from penetration on my own end. I will add that I have been able to reliably ejaculate during sex before, but it's essentially from me jacking off for sometimes as long as ten or fifteen minutes, as my partner at the very least gives me um affection. Is there many people with my problem who are able to overcome it? Is there any activity or exercise I should start doing to enable me to ejaculate from penetration? I wouldn't be opposed to trying ED medication, although from what I've heard, I that can also further delay physical orgasm. What should I do, Dan?
2: ED meds, erectile dysfunction meds are prescribed to men who are having difficulty getting erect. Doesn't sound like you're having any difficulty getting an erection. And yeah, ED meds sometimes help men get erections, but then make it a little bit more difficult for men to climax. So the last thing you want to add to the mix is an ED med. I'm curious when you do masturbate when you're alone, how you're masturbating. There's something we've talked about a lot on the show. You're a teenager, perhaps a new listener. We've talked a lot about what I've called death grip syndrome. If you have a style when you masturbate, where you grip your dick with so much pressure and force, the kind of pressure and force that a mouth, an anus, a vagina can't replicate, or if you masturbate dry with a lot of, I would find it very irritating friction, or if you hump a crusty pillow, or as some men Do hump a floor or put your penis between the mattress and box springs and hump that in order to masturbate. You could have induced something that's called traumatic masturbatory syndrome where basically it's just fancy for your dick is just really accustomed to a certain kind of stimulation and shifting during partnered sex and you're young and I imagine you haven't been having partnered sex for that long that shift, that transition to partnered sex, where the sensations coming at your dick are very different than the sensations you've been providing your own dick for however many years you've been masturbating before partnered sex, that can be tricky. My advice is to vary your masturbatory routine, use a lighter touch, use lubricant, try to get a fleshlight, try to replicate what it's like to have intercourse, and then enjoy your masturbatory sessions. But if after 20, 30 minutes, you don't come, you don't get to come. Don't then revert to whatever you were doing in the past that worked out of frustration at the very end, because what you got to do is got to starve your dick out. You've got to retrain your dick. You've got to carve new neural pathways. And if you stick with it for three months, six months, you can successfully retrain your dick if indeed, you know, death grip syndrome or traumatic syndrome are the problem here. The problem and and what can be tricky about doing something about your quote unquote problem is for some people, this is just how their dick works, that they'll always have to masturbate themselves to a finish at the end. Uh, And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. We don't tell women who require a Hitachi magic wand vibrator to be brought in during intercourse in order to climax Uh, that they're broken. That's just what they need. This may be just what you need. But to find out if it's really just what you need and that you're always going to have to finish yourself off, as some people say, you got to starve your dick out for three to six months. My other bit of advice for you is to start firing on more cylinders. Some people find that intercourse, you know, being the person doing the fucking, is great, and they can last and last and last, but they can't ever quite get there. They can't climax. They can't come. And then one day, suddenly, somebody puts a finger in their butt while they're fucking them, or somebody starts playing with their tits while they're fucking them, and they can climax. If they start firing on more erogenous zone cylinders, if it's not all on the dick, if you start throwing more things at basically your body during intercourse, besides just the wonderful feeling of your dick sliding in and out of somebody suddenly you're able to climax and then it becomes really learning how to coordinate those things the stimulation that you need in addition to the stimulation your dick is getting during penetrative sex that pushes you to that wonderful point of orgasmic inevitability so you've got some experimenting and playing to do you're young you're a teenager I assume you're only recently sexually active with partners play experiment in time. You'll find what you need, what works for you. And in the end, what you're doing now could be what works for you forever.
5: Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a 30-year-old man in the Pacific Northwest. My wife and I, um, we are in an open marriage, and we love engaging in group sex with men, women, couples, you name it. We are not fans of the swingers clubs for a variety of reasons that I, I won't get into, but just that's not an option for us, really. We have used a couple of different apps like Field and 3Fun, but the problem that we're finding is that it is sort of overrun with window shoppers. And what I mean by that is it's just a bunch of people who really seem to have no intention of actually ever meeting up. You know, they'll talk a big game, We will text or talk on kick. And then, you know, once we figure, okay, there's a connection here. There's some chemistry. Why don't we meet up for drinks or something? They just, they're like, well, let us get back to you. And then we never hear from them again. Even after we follow up like, hey, I haven't heard from you. Is there a day and time that works? We'd love to meet you. Just see how we vibe. And that's it. So my question to you and to your listeners is... What can we do? Is there a better app? Is there a better website out there? Again, the clubs are just really not for us for a number of reasons that I just... I don't need to explain. It'll take too long and it's just not an option for us. So is there something we can do? And also, to anyone listening who is dipping their toes in these apps... If it is not something you want to do and actually follow through with, please, please, please get off the apps. And if you're new to it and you're unsure, you're nervous, just be honest about that. Because there's nothing wrong with being new to it and being nervous, but you need to let us know ahead of time because we may not want to waste our time with someone who's not going to ever want to meet up.
2: Ordering everyone who's not serious about meeting up or too nervous to actually follow through and meet up to get off the hookup apps. Oh my God, that is such a good idea. I don't know why no one ever thought of that before. Oh no, wait, I do know why no one ever thought of that before. Because it won't work. This is one of, maybe a classic example of how you can't control other people's actions. You can only control your own. You can't control whether people who aren't serious about meeting up or are too nervous to ever actually meet up are going to get on hookup apps and futz around and waste other people's time. You can't control that. You can only control your actions. So, how do you avoid time wasters? By not wasting your own time. Don't go round and round endlessly with a couple or with someone that you met on what is a hookup app and make a huge emotional investment in them. After establishing mutual interest in a few exchanges of texts and photographs, propose a meetup. Just a meet and greet, quick coffee date, no pressure, no expectation of play at that moment to see if you vibe in person and if they can't meet up with you or won't meet up with you don't waste any more of your time on them hookup apps sometimes it just feels like people have unrealistic expectations about what hookup apps are a hookup app is a a bar in your pocket and when people used to primarily pick other people up in bars you had a lot of short incidental interactions with people you made a lot of eye contact And for the most part, those short incidental interactions, you know, kind of eye-fucking or flirting with people or going up and talking with people usually led nowhere. And yet people didn't lose their minds or get super upset. I'm not saying you're losing your mind. I'm not saying you're super upset. But people didn't get as exercised. You know, when they went to the bars and they flirted with 20 people and went home with one, they didn't get as exercised about having their time wasted by the 19 people they flirted with but didn't hook up with in the same way that people who get on hookup apps get annoyed with the 19 people who ghosted on them or they flirted with or swapped some messages with them and then they never heard from again, even though they got to you know hook up and have great sex with the 20th person or the 30th person that they spoke with. Try to keep those interactions in perspective and limit the amount of time and energy you invest in anyone prior to that first meetup. Don't waste your time on people who might be wasting yours. The quickest way to find out if somebody is serious about actually meeting up is to propose to actually meet up in a low-pressure, low-stakes circumstance. Not meet up, not come to our hotel room at eleven thirty PM because we're in town, but meet up for coffee in the middle of the day to have a quick face to face and then follow up and see if they want to schedule that hookup. If they're not interested in ever actually hooking up, they won't want to have that coffee date and you won't have to waste any more of your time on them.
1: Hey Dan, hey Nancy and what's up Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. And i got a question for you. Me and my partner in our mid-20s, and um, we've been together for about two years, about halfway through those two years, you know, COVID happened, and they came out to me as ace. We never really uh, clicked sexually, but we have a great loving and emotionally fulfilling relationship. But my problem is that sexually, we I don't feel super fulfilled. It's clear that they're a very loving sexual partner and want to please their sexual partner because that's what society says they must do but like it, it's I'm someone who consents not really enough for I want excited enthusiastic consent which I've had some sexual partners in the past and perhaps I'm not bringing enough of that to this relationship I want to be appreciative of the maintenance sex that it feels like we do have but I have a I've kind of a, a problem there I still have this feeling like I'm unfulfilled there and it's Making me want to look for other sexual partners. We've talked about that, and they're completely against that, which, you know, it's fine. He definitely started this relationship under the premise of monogamy. So I I get that. But I'm also thinking, like, I don't know if that's the price of admission I really want to
0: pay.
2: So uh, I have a quick follow up question for you. You say a year into this relationship during the COVID lockdowns, your partner came out to you as ace, as asexual was that a realization they had a year into the relationship or was that something that your partner knew about themselves before getting into the relationship with you and didn't tell you about until a year in? I think it was a little bit
1: of both. I think it was something they always knew, but it was something that, you know, you come into yourself and you kind of understand and then something clicks and you're like, Oh, this is me now. This is my identity.
2: Okay. So like, she, yeah. your partner, Knew what asexuality was, but hadn't yet self-identified as asexual, but thought that might be possible for her. It might be an an explanation. Oh, my God. This is difficult, you know? Yeah, right.
1: Because then you want to be supportive of your partner.
2: You want to be supportive of of your partner, but not to the point where you're sawing your own limbs off. You know, you have a reasonable desire to have sex with someone or some people who enjoy sex the way you enjoy sex as a sexual person, not always just to have sex with someone who's going through the motions and playing the fleshlight because that's something that they have to do to keep you in the relationship. And they don't want you doing that thing that they don't want to do with anybody else for reasons that never make sense to me seems to me if you're in a monogamous relationship with someone who's asexual ideally that would mean you don't not have sex with anybody else you only not have sex with them so right well she makes a reasonable point that you know the relationship is always premised on a monogamous commitment you also went into this relationship making the perfectly reasonable assumption because it's true 99 percent of the time that she was an allosexual like you, that she was a sexual person like you. That turned out not to be the case. Well, now you have to reassess whether you want to stay in the relationship and the terms if you do stay in the relationship. And if she's unwilling to reassess the terms, I don't see how you stay.
1: Yeah, because at the moment we're trying to, like, reassess the terms and, you know, trying to find ways of connecting again and, like, making dates and making, like, sex dates so we can, like, find ways to fill each other's needs, but that's, like, pretty much about what we're trying, so it's, it's, it's
2: a, you know, it's a hard place to come from. Is it always going to be in the back of your head, though, that
1: she's just... That's my, that's my problem with it, that it is kind of always in the back of my head, and I don't, I don't know if whatever energy that's brought is something that I can really, like, feel excited and fulfilled about.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I don't think I could feel excited and fulfilled about having a partner who allowed me to jack off inside them so I didn't jack off inside anybody else. That doesn't sound like a basis on which to build a fulfilling connection. I can understand why some asexual people go there um, often when they realize they're asexual after they've made a commitment and they value so much else about the relationship and they don't want to lose it and so they, you know, Want to keep having sex to, to 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 please their partner, and I think that's you know often even sexual people will have sex just to please a partner at times. Mm-hmm. Definitely at
1: times, and there's so much pressure socially to like keep a partner in a monogamous relationship too. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so so I don't want I don't want to suggest that you know if somebody's having sex with you because you want to have sex and they don't particularly want to have sex that anything necessarily terrible is happening there as long as nobody is left traumatized by it. Maintenance sex is a thing that all people do, sexual and asexual. All of us sometimes consent to maintenance sex, and at that moment, you know, it's not that you're having sex you don't want to have. You're having sex you want to have for reasons other than wanting to have sex. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, you know. In, a couple of long-ass term relationships. If it was only ever maintenance sex, on one side, uh, I don't, yeah, that—that that, that, sounds. I don't see how I could not. Not only do, I don't see how I could stay, or I would be bitter, or angry, or resentful. Just like I, I, I would come to not want to have sex. Sometimes, even when you're having maintenance sex with a long-term partner who's sexual. You know, the maintenance sex is infused with a kind of passion because usually the sex is mutually desired on both sides. So even when you're just being indulged, it's indulged in a sort of a, a context, in a, you know, a continuum of mostly desired on both sides sex at the, any given moment. And without that, like those tent poles of mutual desire, I,
6: mm-hmm. I don't
2: see how maintenance sex, just if it was always an only maintenance sex, wouldn't negatively impact my desire if I was a sexual person in this kind of relationship for my partner at all, ever. Yeah. And I think that's what's really starting to tax on me. Yeah. And there's what she's giving you. And then there's what she's denying you. You know, she's giving you sex. She's milking the cow. Cause she has to, to keep you, but she's also then, you know, if you stay in the relationship under those terms, denying you as a sexual person, that Electric feeling when you're in the moment and in the groove with someone when you're both wanting it and it's good and great on both sides and that isn't a trivial thing. That's a transcendent yeah. thing, and it's really important. I it think is. for There's us,
1: something it's, it's really hard to ignore too, especially when you're when you do have that loving and passionate partner who you do want to like not say no to or, or reject because it's something they can't control, but it's also something that you can't really control either that electric uh, feeling that you
2: get. Yeah. I think you need to end this relationship. Yeah. and, um, and, and or, well, hard for me. <laughs> or open
1: it. Yeah. And we've been talking about opening it, but you know, again, we're so socialized to monogamy and that's so much of what we feel love is that when we go to that idea, it's a really hard place for a lot of people.
2: It is. It is. It's going to be hard for her. She needs to recognize that what she's asking of you is also hard. And if neither of you can do the hard thing, then you need to do the equally hard thing of ending the relationship. And that doesn't mean withdrawing your love or support. You can love and support and leave someone. Yeah,
4: that's
2: that's
1: a hard thing to do, but I want to... I want to do the supporting, loving thing. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's both. I'm not sure.
2: And, and, and in the long run, you know, as, as painful, as painful as it might be to end the relationship now, like five years in the future, you guys are friends. She has a new partner who is also asexual or gray sexual, makes very few demands on her sexually that she loves. And you're with someone or multiple people five years from now who, are into you and that you love, but are also really into sex and you guys are still friends. There may be a point where you look back and regard the breakup now as painful as it might be to have been in your own interests on both sides and to have been the right choice for both of you and the loving choice for both of you. But as often is the case with breakups that are in the best interest of all involved, it's one person who makes the call Yeah, no, and
1: that's a good way of thinking about it that I hadn't really thought of before, just thinking about the future. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Sure thing. Bye.
7: Hi, Dan. This is a 30-year-old straight woman calling from the West Coast. I have a question about how to address a male friend with boundary issues. My partner and I are a part of a great friend group that consists of about six straight couples who get together regularly to celebrate birthdays, holidays, and even travel out of town together for the weekend getaways. I'm really close with all the girls in the group, and these friendships have been a major form of support in the last two years my problem calling about has to do with one of the men in the group it's come up in recent conversations between some women that they're being made to feel uncomfortable by this friend during parties where there's drinking and molly being consumed this drug is something that does not happen at every get together nor every party but it's a drug that's enjoyed by the group on special occasions and we feel it's being done safely and responsibly with friends the man i'm calling about is in a serious committed relationship with another friend in the group And they as a couple have been known to be more open with other couples and have played around with swinging and openness in past relationships uh, with previous friends who don't live in our area. Everyone in our group thinks this is great and really don't have judgments towards that. The problem is that this friend always seems to seek out conversations with women that feels like he's grooming them to be sexual with him or with them as a couple. And it's always when people are high on Molly. He asks very intimate questions about their sex lives and their relationship openness. He also asks women if he can touch their nipples or other body parts. Two female friends have brought this up separately to me and they feel they've been pushed beyond their comfort levels in these conversations as well as given consent for him to touch their breasts or butt when he's asked, but in hindsight they felt that they said yes in shock and felt it would have made things weird if they said no. They're left to feel embarrassed and violated the next day and feel stupid for not saying no in the moment, especially since we talk about consent so frequently in society, now they feel like they should have known better." The friends who have experienced this with him worry that if they bring this up to him, it could throw a wrench in the relationship with his girlfriend, who I'm sure would be embarrassed and upset with him, and they're in the process of buying a home together. The women also feel guilty and like they would be confronting him without cause because they did say yes and he did ask for consent before he touched them. So they feel bad now for changing their story and making him the wrongdoer. We want him to know that the women feel uncomfortable to be around him when he asks these questions and that somehow the way he asks for consent makes it hard to actually be honest about it. This is also important to be brought up to his attention because we know the couples attend other festivals and have friend groups where Molly's used, so this could be a problem for other women we don't even know about. This friend's a very caring and thoughtful person, so I think he'll be mortified to learn that he's made his friends feel uncomfortable and wants to change. So Dan, how can we address this in the group without blowing up the friend group, and what's the moral obligation to tell our girlfriend who's in a serious relationship with him when she's not directly involved, but she might want to know about it before she makes any further steps in their relationship?
2: So you say he's a good guy, and that he's going to be mortified when you confront him, which is what you're going to do, which is what you need to do, that he's going to be mortified to learn that after the fact, the women that he's hitting on and asking personal questions, of the sexual nature of when everybody's rolling on Molly after the fact, even though in the moment they've consented after the fact, when they sober back up, They feel weird and icky and awkward and gross and violated by his modus operandi here. The fact that when he's high on Molly, he is a bit of a lech and a creep and takes advantage of other people who are high on Molly. You know, everybody's high and drunk at these moments and drugs really fuck with people's judgment and their inhibitions. And maybe he can't handle it. And maybe you guys shouldn't be doing Molly with him or around him anymore, which is not to shift the responsibility onto your shoulders or the shoulders of all the women in this friend group. But why is he still invited to these events if he's making everyone feel uncomfortable? All that said, I'm just quoting you back to you. You say he's a good guy and that he's, I guess to some extent, careful and conscientious and thoughtful and doesn't want to think of himself as a creep who takes advantage of women who are fucked up on drugs. And he may not think of these incidents in the same way or see them in the same way. And so you're going to have to open his eyes. You're going to have to make him see these events. I don't want to give someone who's election a creep the benefit of too many doubts. I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt that you introduced into my mind when you said he was a good enough guy who's going to be mortified when you tell him. Hopefully mortified enough to stop doing this drug if he can't be on this drug without being a lech and a creep. Or mortified enough, you, you know, it's not like you lose your mind to become a different person when you're a Molly. Mortified enough to know now, to learn the lesson from this point Onward, going forward forever, that asking people on Molly for their consent to touch them isn't all right, and that if he doesn't have that kind of touch relationship, you know, a lot of people do Molly with sex partners and established partners, and there's a lot of touching and cuddling that goes on, but if he doesn't have a touch relationship with someone, trying to upgrade to a touchy-feely relationship with someone when everyone's on Molly is not okay. So tell him. And then you can gauge from his reaction whether you trust him enough going forward. I think he doesn't get any more than one more chance to be on Molly in a group setting if he fucks up or is a creep in a lutch in this exact same way ever again after you tell him and he is mortified by what you have to tell him. Well, then obviously it's intentional and the drugs are an excuse to be a creep and a latch and a creep and a latch is who he is as opposed to creepy and lechy is a way he's coming across when he's on this drug and he needs to monitor his own behavior and police himself better and remember other people's boundaries or presume that other people have boundaries even when everyone else is on molly and just because they're in an open relationship doesn't make this okay he shouldn't be searching for new sex partners for him and his girlfriend when he's fucked up on drugs and if you think his girlfriend is going to have such a problem with this she's not going to want to buy a house with him yeah out with this now because if this keeps happening it's going to come out sooner or later better now before she buys the house with this guy than after but if after you tell him and he's appropriately mortified, this stops? Okay, well then maybe he can continue to be a part of your friend group and you can trust him. But if it doesn't stop, and by doesn't stop, I mean if it ever happens again, then you need to cut him off. You need to cut him out of your friend group.
8: Hey, Dan. I am a 27-year-old lesbian uh, living on the East Coast. I have been with my wife, um, with her for five years, married for one um, and I do love her with um, everything I got. My question regards when we are having sex. The sex is great. You know, I have had many a uh, happy sexual experience with this woman. She knows exactly what buttons to press and when to press them. Um, my concern is more when I am pleasing her. I love the intimacy of looking at my partner while I'm pleasing them and, and seeing, you know, how what I'm doing makes them feel. My issue is my wife. She's a beautiful woman and has a lovely face, but whenever I'm fucking her, she has this look on her face, and, you know, I've I've stopped and asked her if what I'm doing is okay and if she's comfortable, and she says yes, and she doesn't want me to stop what I'm doing, but the look on her face almost looks disgusting. I don't know if this is just the way her face reacts to the pleasure, and it's just the face that she makes, or if she's just not being honest with me and that, you know, I am hurting her in some way. But usually when she makes that face, if I stop, she doesn't want me to. She wants me to keep going, but it's just, she looks disgusted. She like scratches up her nose. She just looks like she, you know, smelled shit or something. So I'm just wondering how do I go about talking to her about this or if this is something I should talk to her about, or do I just kind of leave it be and just, you know, look somewhere else? I love the intimacy of seeing my partner's face and pleasure while I'm, I'm pleasing them, but It doesn't seem like she's pleased. I mean, the sounds say she's pleased, and it, it seems like I'm doing a good job, but she just looks like she's miserable.
2: Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Judy Gold, an Emmy award-winning stand-up comedian, actress, television writer, producer, and host of the Kill Me Now podcast, and a lesbians who, who better to handle a question about lesbians with yucky sex faces than <laughs> Judy Gold, because representation is important, and I want the lesbian community represented in my podcast. Hey, Judy, how are you?
9: Dan, I am thrilled to be here, but... I have to say the face you're making right now over the phone. This is my, this is really my, uh, I'm
2: being forced to think <laughs> about lesbian sex face. It's not yucky at all. It's affirming and supportive. <laughs> there is not a gay man in America okay. who spends more time stumping for cunnilingus than me.
9: Yeah, that's true. That is true. All right. But, but y- and I, I want you to know we all appreciate it.
2: Before we get to the question, uh, I feel like we have to talk about Dave Chappelle for just a second. You oh, are sure. a fully paid up, Dues paying member of the LGBTIQA plus sign semicolon exclamation point community. Yeah. And you're a comedian. You wrote the book. Yes, I can say that. When they come for the comedians, we are all in trouble. Did you see the closer? I saw the closer. Yes, I did. Did Chappelle say something or some things he shouldn't have said?
9: I I am a free speech advocate and a comedian and i believe when we silence people that's the that is very dangerous did he say things he shouldn't have said not according to him were some things not funny absolutely you know you on your i think you 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 mm-hmm. spoke about it i love your podcast but you spoke about it and when you talked about <clears throat> You know, you really got into his intent and what he was trying to say. And when you get there, that, I think, is the most important part of it. But I, I believe that you can joke about anything as long as the joke is funny. The problem with this was I feel that he was sort of pinning marginalized groups against each mm-hmm. other. And the thing that we, this is, this is the thing, and please, he has every right to say whatever he wants and joke about whatever he wants because he's a comedian and we live in America.
2: And, and on the flip side, people who find the jokes unfunny have every right to scream and yell and complain and tell him it's not funny to, and right. he's in no danger of not being a millionaire right. tomorrow because some people in the queer community are upset at him. But. It does feel like there's no middle ground here. Either you're like rabidly for Chappelle and defending Chappelle or you're screaming, repent motherfucker in his face. Uh, and I feel like I'm standing in a middle ground somewhere all by myself saying, well, okay.
9: I am. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. I, but I feel like he walked away from what? $50 million because he didn't like, what people were laughing at or why they were laughing or that they were laughing. When he at the walked away from thing. the
2: Chappelle show, his comedy central show where he was offered $50 yes. million dollars to make three right. or four more seasons. And he felt like racists were laughing at some of the jokes that he was making on that show. And right. so he stopped doing, you know, he's doing a lot of in-group humor that the out group was showing up for and not, laughing the way he intended people to laugh
9: for the right reason for the right reason and i feel like that's what trans people Mm -hmm. feel you know i feel that they that they feel the same way but you know dan we have been putting up with this crap for so long you know you talked about um
2: eddie murphy's delirious from the 80s
9: right and that it, it won an Emmy mm-hmm. Award, but this is what we deal with. It is it is an example of, hey, this is how people think. This is what we're trying to change. It's not, but but silencing it and saying you can't say that, that doesn't do right. anything. That that's even more dangerous. But here's the thing: when you take intent out of the equation, what, you know, if, if you are a, if you murder someone and you are on trial for murder or homicide, your sentence is determined by your intent. W- what were you thinking? W- you know, w- was it premeditated? And yet, comedians do not get the same consideration. Mm-hmm. It's about what the other person felt, and that's the valid point. I was offended, and that's all that matters. And you should never be able to tell another joke. That is not the right, right. way. I, to I don't say. think
2: anyone's out there saying you can't tell another joke um, to David Chappelle. Not right, that it would right. work. What, what I think is so crazy. It, it, I watched the special. There were some things that I laughed at. In addition to some like Same. jokes that were like on the border, unfunny about trans people, there was like straight up anti-Semitic right. jokes in there. There was like, yeah,
3: there was I some agree. stuff in there. I
2: was like, wow, this is what we would be arguing about if it weren't for the trans stuff. And he, on the trans stuff, I really feel like he's in right. danger of tipping into Lenny Bruce territory, unfunny Lenny Bruce territory, but instead right. of the feds, and this is a really deep cut yeah, for comedy fans. Instead of the feds, it's the queers right. that he's on stage, like sort of, you know, reading from his trial transcripts about. That right, said, exactly. like...
9: Uh, same with Mort Sahl, with the
2: Warren That's That said, I yeah. really do think that right now, uh, I think the pushback is important. You know, Eddie Murphy opened Delirious, it won an Emmy Award, it was the 80s, gay men were dying in droves, it was the early part of the AIDS crisis, and he opened right. the show saying, not essentially, literally, I hate faggots. No one would open a show like that now, because... There's been progress. And part of what drove that progress was the pushback against delirious at the time. So I I don't want to be like the old man on the hill, stroking his beard, taking the long view. But, you know, the jokes that Chappelle is making now as he struggles with the trans issue in the final accounting is probably going to move people along, you know, and getting over their shit about trans people Not that we like send Eddie Murphy thank you cards for Delirious in the 80s, but we can recognize now that that was almost it allowed for some public discussion and argument that helped create change and some progress. And I think one day we will look back on The Chappelle Show and feel the same way. I don't look back on Eddie Murphy's Delirious as a gay man who watched all his friends die in the 80s and feel good about it. But I look back on it and think, movement happened because of this.
9: Exactly. Exactly. And, and the thing is, I, the one thing I didn't understand, why are you spending so much time on this? You know, your entire special is about this, Mm -hmm. that I didn't understand. I was like, wait, this is what you're talking about. This one topic plus the other anti-Semitism, but this is the last thing you're going to talk about. And it's sort of, it, it does create discourse. Like you were saying, and discourse is good. It is good. I mean, just like the the Westboro Baptist yeah. Church. You could point to it and say, Look, you think we're lying? Look at this. This is what we deal with, you know?
2: So so your official ruling is yes, he can say that. Yes, we can be mad about it and say what we have to say about it. Just no calls for censorship. Not that I really think anyone is out there calling for censorship, but some of what's being out right. there called for people perceive as censorship and we want to be careful that we don't that we aren't perceived as censorious in the queer community. Right, right. All right, let's get to these questions. I really wanted to have you on to tackle some questions with me. Okay. So, yucky sex face. Let's back up. Let's think about this call. 27-year-old lesbian, married for five years. Right. she has been fucking this woman for five years, more if she's been married for five years. And she's just getting around to talking to the wife about the look on her face. Something you might want to tackle earlier in the relationship, I think. But any advice?
9: Yeah, well, first of all, It's only going to make her wife paranoid. I mean, the wife is obviously relaxed and her face is contorting because of pleasure. Look, do you watch jazz musicians, you know, uh, and other musicians? But when they're, when they are playing their instruments, it is such a full body experience that their faces contort and, you know, they're in it. I know you want to look, but you don't like the look. So why put it on her? I, I, I really, it's, it's uh, that disturbed me. Does that make sense to you?
2: Yeah, it makes sense to me. Maybe you could, maybe the caller could look at her tits instead. Maybe her tits are smiling.
9: Right, look at something else. Look at a picture. Put a picture of her next to her head, of her face
2: <laughs> not contorting, okay? Can we keep you around for a couple more calls? Oh my God, I love you, yes.
10: Hi, Jan. I'm a lesbian living in Brooklyn, New York. I've been with my partner for two years now, and my questions are about desire and attraction. My partner is a larger person. I am a dancer who grew up with, you know, negative and positive body image, a variety of things. And I think I have been kind of groomed to be attracted to, you know, the beautiful, thin, athletic woman but I have fallen in love with someone who is not that and I'm finding that when it comes to the intimate with her I feel like I have that phobia and I but I feel terrible I feel so guilty about that and I don't want to feel like that it's like that's horrible it's like fucked up and I don't want to be like that but how I can't force myself to like someone so my question is, you know, what matters? Like, does size matter? Does, you know, can desire change over time? Can I change my mind to be more accepting of her and to look at her and think of her in a sexy way? And I look at her and I do feel that, but it's just not always in terms of intimacy, I look at her personality as the way that she makes, she makes me feel. But at this point, it's been months since we've been intimate, I'm starting to cause some issues between us. She's very hurt and now kind of doesn't know how to approach me sexually. And consequently, it's the same for me. So I'm wondering if you have any suggestions of intimacy icebreakers or something that I could read or listen to obviously your podcast is very helpful but I am a bit lost we live together have a life together Have you got anything for me
2: all right this call actually made me really angry but I'm gonna punt and and hand it to you and then I'll they'll chime in go ahead
9: Dan I have been in this position And it's not the body that her reaction, you, you fell in love with a woman who looks a certain way. And by the way, big women are just beautiful. It's her issue. It's not, you know, you're rejecting, you're rejecting your partner who you fell in love with, who looked this way when you fell in love with her. What has changed? What has changed? that you know it, it, it makes it, it is it's ang- it makes me angry
2: It makes me angry too and she you know she does conflate uh, thin with beautiful that's not you know people are beautiful of all different shapes and sizes and and beauty is subjective right That said, you know you say she fell in love with her I think she's inflicting herself on this woman
9: yeah that's a, that's a good point. to be
2: constantly rejected by someone sexually because of your body, and they are not attracted to you. Yeah. That's emotionally very painful. And I think the caller really needs to take a big step back and ask herself why. Why she put this woman that she loves, that she liked, you know, when she first met her and then fell in love with, in the position of having right. to be on the receiving end of this constant, shattering rejection because of the way she looks. Instead of the caller getting out there and finding somebody that she was attracted to emotionally and physically. And allowing this woman to find somebody who was attracted to her emotionally and physically.
9: And appreciates her. You know, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a flat-out rejection. And, and as if the woman probably, I mean, it's not like she's unaware that she's large. And she probably has issues around mm-hmm. that and yeah i totally agree
2: with you i think it's really hurtful and mean and h- you awful. know we w- everyone wants to create a world where people are attracted to more and different types of bodies and people and people are questioning right. sexual racism and fat phobia and i think that what we want to do with that conversation is create a world where there are fewer people who you know express racism through their sexual desires fewer people who are fatphobic in the future but it's really hard to reverse engineer someone or yourself after you have been kind of fully formed by the culture. You know, one of the reasons you don't want to see no fats, no femmes, no blacks, no Asians on like gay dudes, grinder profiles. And you want to see more representation of all different types of beautiful people in the media is so that the people who are growing up now, whose tastes are being formed now are less likely to have their tastes really limited by what they've been taught is beautiful, but like forcing yourself to go to bed with somebody that you're not attracted to because you ought to be attracted to that type of person. You're just putting that person in the position of sensing that you're really not attracted to them, sensing that you're forcing yourself and then they're going to leave that encounter feeling icky about themselves when they should be mad at you.
9: Right. I agree. And the culture of being a dancer when it's <clears throat> all about your body and tights, come on, so, it's not right. I feel so bad. Well, I, I feel partner.
2: bad, but I really want to tell the caller, like uh, you know, it's good that you're thinking about this. I think you need to think about it at a deeper level. I also think you need to break up with your partner before you do any more damage to her ego, her self esteem, her sex of sexual desirability. Because every minute that you stay with her and reject her, fail to initiate. Or have sex with her while you're, and you're clearly forcing yourself to, is just doing more harm to someone you claim to love. Right. And...
9: Right. It's very destructive. And she needs to go to therapy. That's another thing. And deal with her body issues.
2: All right. One more
11: question. Hey, Dan. So I was with my ex for about four years. We've been separated for about six. He's a good guy. Um, We had a slightly messy breakup, but we stayed in touch for the most part. About nine months ago, I needed a roommate and... I wasn't getting any anybody else to move in with me, and I didn't want to live with a stranger. <clears throat> and he was desperately trying to get out of his mom, so he moved in. But since he's been here, it's been uh, pretty bad. He's uh, just really filthy. He, like, takes groceries and doesn't replace them. He uses my towel and stuff like that, and he's quit jobs without a backup and, like, barges in my room all the time. We've worked out the kinks for the most part, but um, recently he's been like staying out for days at a time without notifying me, and it wouldn't be an issue except I have to watch his dog. So come to find out, he's been seeing a guy for about a month now, and um, I have no idea why, but it just totally gets under my skin, and I have no desire to be with him at all whatsoever. And I'm currently single, but not really actively like on any dating apps or anything. Um, I've asked him to move out, but he says he can't until a year when his friend is up, even though there's other routes he can take. So I guess I just would like your insight on why you think maybe I have such, like, animosity built up about him seeing someone.
2: Yeah, I think that the caller actually kind of still wants to be with this guy.
11: Yeah,
9: 100%. And also, the jealousy... That the guy has a boyfriend and he's sitting around taking care of the, you know, he's like the battered husband sitting around taking care of his dog and and letting him like shit all over him and shit all over the apartment. Yeah, I think he definitely. I mean, who asks their ex to move in? Unless you
2: want to be tortured. You're a lesbian. 99.99% 99.99% of the yeah. lesbians I know, their closest friends and often their roommates, the, you know, best women at their weddings, are exes. Lesbians are famous for having
9: no, really not close roommates.
2: relationships with exes.
9: Roommates? Yeah, that is true. They never, it's like, yes, I agree with you, but not roommates. Ew, <laughs> Then you know everything that the person's doing. It's, yeah, no, he definitely still has feelings well, Yeah, I, de- I think so, too.
2: Like, <laughs> he has no desire to be with him at all whatsoever, he says. And my reaction is, okay, keep telling yourself that. Maybe it'll come true one day. Right. But it's not going to come true while you're living with your ex. You need to, it'll come true maybe someday if you get the ex the fuck out of your apartment.
9: Right. He has to say to him, what the fuck are you doing? I'm not taking care of your dog. Get the fuck out. I thought I I, need... Yeah, he's got to tell him. But he's acting like such a Vicky victim.
2: Yep. And yeah, yeah. And he's doing all the kind of emotional labor of a boyfriend and not getting what he wants as right. the boyfriend still subconsciously on sub level wants right. it as the boyfriend which is the intimacy and the sex he's restocking the fridge he's cleaning the towels he's taking care of the child the dog right and so he's got all of the like burdens and responsibilities of boyfrienddom and none of the hot sticky loads in his ass or whatever it is he's missing
9: right yeah exactly he is really, he's playing this sort of my, my husband has a has a uh, mistress you know, it's like 1950. Uh, he's got to get him out. Yes. And he, and he has to deal with his feelings about him.
2: And he doesn't have to wait for his boyfriend's his the, his ex-boyfriend's permission to throw him out. It's your apartment. He's tried to throw him out, right. but he can't because the boyfriend says he can't oh, yeah. move for a year. What it's like, that? no, 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 no. Pack his shit up and put it outside the door and change the locks and tell him when he can yeah. come get the dog.
9: I mean, that is crazy that he is letting this guy walk all over him. Well, he, he's allowing so he's giving him permission to walk all over him.
2: And the last thing I'd say to the caller is you got to know that if this guy had something else lined up, if the dude he's dating now is like, why don't you move in? He would be out of your apartment like a shot. He would stick you with the rent. Oh. He wouldn't give you any notice because he's a selfish motherfucker that you are indulging and enabling and allowing to walk all over you. Stop. Right. Stop.
9: I know. That is absolutely 100%. If this other guy asks him to move in, he's going to be out of there and leave you high and dry with a fucking dog shit all over your house.
2: Yes, so throw him the fuck out and... Maybe get into therapy too. Everybody should get into therapy and ask yourself why you're lying to your sex advice professionals. Of course, you're still into this guy. Of course, you're carrying a torch. Of course, it hurts that he's with somebody else because you want him to be with you. And maybe you didn't think that was so, but the evidence that that is so is your reaction. This jealousy is the proof.
9: He has to be more self-aware. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Judy Gold, Emmy Award-winning stand-up comedian, actress, television writer, producer. Check out her podcast, Kill Me Now, and pick up and read her terrific book. Yes, I can say that. When they come for comedians, we are all in trouble. Judy, that was so much fun. Will you please come back on the show sometime?
9: Oh, my God. Absolutely. I love you, and I love these questions. You're the best.
2: You are, too. I can't be, because you are. We can't both be the best. Somebody, no. No, you are. You You are.
6: Hi, Dan. I'm a 33-year-old cis gender woman uh living on the west coast i've kind of been struggling with something for a few years um i've been with my partner now for three and a half years it was you know we're totally in love he's just perfect for me and we are just so happy sexually compatible like all that good stuff it's amazing But the issue is that since we met, we pretty much moved in together pretty fast, and he was living with his mom, and he still lives with her. She's not even 60 yet, but she has been suffering from chronic pain for the last, I don't know, almost 10 years, I guess, at this point, and she's just a lot for me. Um, I didn't realize before we moved in that their relationship was so close, and she's just very dependent on him, and it annoys me. It's just her personality really annoys me, honestly, even though she's a nice person um, deep down, but she's just, you know, sometimes she could be loud. She brings a lot of stuff into the house and, you know, messy and whatnot and things that I just really don't like. And I just don't like living with people. I've never had roommates. I moved out of my house when I was 19, even though I really love my family. I just, I'm independent. I've always been independent. And I like my space. Um, And I just don't feel like I could be totally myself when she's around. So that's always been an issue um, that I've dealt with. Uh, He has a sister, but she barely wants to, you know, take care of her mom. And the mother's probably the sister's house about 15% of the year, you know, in total, it's not very much. But recently, also this past year, I have a daughter, she's doesn't like, uh, the, this mother either because of her, you know, strange personality and her messiness. Um, so she's been spending more time with my family. Um, so my daughter's pretty much all moved out because she doesn't like living with, you know, the mom and my boyfriend's daughter, who's also has kind of a strange personality as well. And I'm just getting to that point that I don't really know what to do. Um, I don't want to sacrifice the relationship I have with my daughter, but, um, you know, I know my boyfriend loves his ma- mother and there's nowhere she can go. And the mother is also gives my daughter a really bad attitude because she could tell that my daughter doesn't like her. But the difference is my daughter's a little girl and his mother is a grown ass woman. So I'm just kind of a, at a crossroads here and I'm feeling really unhappy, which is unlike me. Um, even though I'm really happy in my relationship with my partner, I just wanna know if you had any advice.
2: Yeah, I have some advice. Move the fuck out. You say you prefer to live alone. You don't like having roommates. And yet, for the last three and a half years, the relationship's been going on for three and a half years. You say you moved in with each other right away. You've had roommates. You've had a boyfriend and your boyfriend's mother, who sounds very unpleasant and hard to live with, and your boyfriend's daughter. And for a time, your daughter, who you describe as a little girl, and say she's off living with other family now. I hope you meant, you know, she's your little girl, not like you, chucked a seven-year-old out of the house or allowed a seven-year-old to to move out because you wouldn't move out and, and get your own household, which is what you should do. That doesn't mean you have to end the relationship. You can have two households. You can get a place nearby. Your boyfriend can come spend nights with you every once in a while. You can head over there and spend the night. You aren't obligated to live together just because you're in a relationship. Move the fuck out. There are lots of couples out there. I think my brother, Billy, his girlfriend, wonderful, Colleen, they've been together forever. They have separate households. They spend a lot of time at each other's houses, but they don't live together. You can do this. If you can afford it, you can do this. Even if It was a studio apartment just to have your own space to go to. So you're not always at your boyfriend's place with his messy, unpleasant, dependent mother and his odd daughter. And a studio apartment that your daughter feels like, you know, or one bedroom or whatever, where your daughter feels comfortable coming over and hanging out and being with you. A place that you can keep immaculately clean would totally be worth it. And if your boyfriend can't wrap his head around why you might want to have your own space and is angry about it or threatens to end the relationship over it, well then he's not as wonderful or kind or nice as you thought he was. He should be able to understand this. He should be able to project himself into your experience of living with him and his extended family, his immediate family, mom and daughter, and see why you might need, at least for now, at least while mom's still alive, that's what I mean by at least for now, at least for now, to move out and have your own place where you can have some degree of control, you can have a little bit of privacy. The two of you can have some privacy in alone time when he comes over, and it can be as neat and as clean as you'd like your space to be. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read listener tweets. Kill the cat kitty tweets. My only regret in life is discovering fake Dan Savage's Savage Lovecast 24 years into my 25 years of life. I finally caught up on all 785 episodes of the micro. Think I'll celebrate by submitting my own question and maybe getting a Magnum subscription. First, I wanna say in response to that, cats, please don't fuck them, please don't kill them. Pretty sure Kill the Cat Kitty's handle is ironic or a pop culture reference that flew over my aging head. But just in case and to get out in front of any criticism that I may be endorsing the killing of cats here, I just wanted to toss that out there. Please don't kill cats. And then I wanted to say thank you, Kill the Cat Kitty, for listening to all 785 episodes of the Savage Lovecast or assuming you just heard me read your tweet, all 786 episodes, and I'll be gifting you a Magnum subscription, check your DMs. Jabble's Mac MacBeaver tweets, in response to the caller on episode 785, who asked how to tell her suitor no, as a straight man that's been in the situation, do him and yourself a favor and just give him a hard no. Hearing a hard no is a whole lot easier than wondering if there's a chance. Fully endorse the hard no, also endorse leading with clarity and kindness, as frequent Savage Lovecast guest expert Joan Price suggested, also on Twitter. Her go-to language when rejecting a suitor is, thank you, but no, I don't see us as a good match. Best wishes for finding what you seek. I like that language and wanted to share it. Also, if the person you're hard knowing with clarity and kindness wants to argue with you, well, then you block them. Without mercy. And finally, Juju Mimi Mama tweets In episode 785, Dan, you were overly harsh answering the 30 year old woman whose partner had the texting affair. Being open to Polly does not mean she would have given him permission if she had known. Opening a relationship is not that simple. Polly under duress violates trust. All right, all right, perhaps I was too harsh on that caller, and you are right. Juju Mimi, mama, opening a relationship is not that simple. Opening a relationship is complicated, and sometimes it's messy. There are lots of couples out there in open relationships that are good and are healthy now, but were messy and complicated during their transition periods when they were going from closed to open. Sometimes there were during those transition periods when relationships went from closed to open but are now good and healthy, there were violations of trust, violations of trust that had to be forgiven so that trust could be reestablished and the relationship could survive and get good and healthy. All right, thanks to everybody who tweeted about the show or posted about the show on your other social media over the last week. We really appreciate it. And if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag SavageLovecast. And now, listener response
0: calls. This is a comment for the caller who wanted to send a link to nude photos to their therapist. Um, I'm a psychiatrist, and the first thing I will say is this is a horrible idea. Absolutely do not. It doesn't matter if the therapeutic relationship has ended. It's an ethical and professional violation to have a romantic contact with a patient. just not uncommon in the therapeutic relationship for sexual or amorous feelings to emerge, and that's something that should be processed within therapy and never acted on. I also have some doubts that the therapist or joked about wanting to see these pictures. Um, it's not uncommon if there are fantasies emerging in a patient's mind for them to interpret actions of the therapist that may have been more benign as having significance for a romantic or a physical connection. So bad idea across the board, not uncommon. If anyone out there is listening and you're having sexual or romantic feelings about your therapist, talk to them about it. And uh, as Dan says, They'll tell you everything you need to know in their response. Uh, If they're curious, they want to explore it more and understand what's going on and help you process it to maintain a therapeutic and professional relationship, that's great. If they want to act on it, then you have my permission to fire them and never go back. Hi, Dan. I'm calling up about the woman in episode 785 who spoke about intrusive thoughts about whether she's in a relationship with a woman because she wants attention. What you called queer imposter syndrome may be better explained by something called sexual orientation OCD. It's a subtype of obsessive compulsive disorder where someone has doubts about their sexuality and often experiences compulsive checking and rumination to settle these doubts and get certainty about their sexual orientation. This is something experienced by people of every sexual orientation and identification. If this is the case, you're right that the woman would benefit from cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as something called exposure and response prevention, as these two are part of the gold standard of treatment for sexual orientation, OCD, and all other subtypes of obsessive-compulsive disorder. This is a response to the caller who has the new boyfriend who wants to make her Chuck. And I would like to share an experience. I've had lots of subs and uh, the, the third most intense sub that I've ever been with, I used to love when I would make her choke with my cock. And one time we were in the kitchen, she was on her knees on the tile floor, Being a good girl, she went so hard all of a sudden. She pulled away, and she puked all over the floor. And then I was utterly disgusted, and then she looked up at me with her beautiful eyes, and she said, look, Daddy, I kept it on the floor, (laughs) and it turned into something good. So never discount the weird."
2: And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for me for next week's show or a comment about something I said on this week's show. The best way to get us questions and comments is to use the voice memo app on your phone and then email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call the Savage Lovecast at 206-302-2064. We prefer voice memos to calls. The sound quality is better, but we love your questions and your comments. However you choose to get them to us. Hump 2021 has its final showing in a real movie theater this weekend in Philadelphia where it will be playing at Fringe Arts or if you can't make it to Philly, grab a ticket for our last round of online live streams of Hump 2021 at humpfilmfest.com. Also, the deadline to submit your film for next year's Hump Film Festival is less than a month away. So grab a camera, a friend or two and make a short flick. And remember, Hump Films don't have to be hardcore, explicitly pornographic. We've had films in the festival of a guy playing an accordion in his underpants, singing a song he wrote about his love life, and a woman jumping on a trampoline while she peed her pants. Go to humpfilmfest.com for all the info you need. And a reminder that next week's episode will feature questions solely from LGBTQ folks. So if that describes you, submit your question like now. I'll need them by midweek ish to answer in time for next week's show. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Judy Gold on Twitter at Judy Gold. That's Judy spelled J-E-W-D-Y Gold. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Artunian and me. And the tech heavy at Rescue. and Nancy. I'll be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for joining.